0: Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It is a show that forgot to write an intro, then remembered in a blind panic a mere two minutes ago. On today's part we're talking TV rights, summer signings and managers throwing refs under the bus. But of course the bulk of our attention will focus on Forest at the Etihad this Saturday. Will the tricky trees be tricky or will Erling the Inevitable be inevitable? To discuss this and more, I'm delighted to be joined today by two Friday favourites in the form of Chris and Ben. Chris, you there? You well? Hey, I am. Good morning,
1: morning Ben. Morning, morning. Steve. Yeah, I'm good. It's been a it's been a while actually, so I'm glad to be uh, back. Work has uh, kept me occupied, so I'm glad to be back on the pod again. It's been a long time.
0: What's the latest development at work? What's the latest venture?
1: Well, I'm, well, I'm very fortunate. Whilst whilst autumn is approaching in Manchester um after i've done this i'm jumping on a flight to turkey um, right i'm there for the weekend we've got this um, biennial event and i'm i'm chairing a panel there with some artists so really yeah, it's just a quick turnaround yeah fly out today There, are saturday sunday fly back but apparently it's about 29 degrees so my shorts are packed yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm very fortunate i'm very fortunate my work takes me around so it's great
0: yeah i mean there's worse ways to spend a weekend frankly isn't it so yeah. yeah will you be able to see the game
1: that it's slap bang in the middle of when I'm doing this. Panel. Oh no! <laughs> so, yeah. so I, um, so Much I I'll have my phone. Fo- have well, I have my phone on for um, uh, for alerts, but yeah, I think. Although if I'm in Turkey, I'll have to get a, a stream because the, uh, the BBC doesn't. I don't think it broadcasts in certain parts mm. of Europe. So yeah, I'll I'll find a dodgy stream to be able
0: to <laughs> catch. <up in> <laughs> and Ben, are you there? You well? yes i'm good thanks how are you steve i'm very well thank you are you uh flying off anywhere exotic this weekend
2: no i'm not and i'd just like to say to chris stay away from the buses over there because uh, you might be there a while uh, yes yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm, yeah
1: unfortunately i won't have to get public transport it's taken care of but yeah i i heard all about those horror stories <laughs> i don't i don't envy that experience that you had
0: Ben they're sending a car for him <laughs>
1: <Of course. laughs> sorry i'm
0: sorry <laughs> And um, let's get straight into it. and Let's start with the TV rights kind of deal or the proposed TV rights deal and the current deals ending in 2025. Uh, right now, we're talking about a lot of speculation, really, but there has been two big meetings this week, the first of which revealed that there are possibilities of a Sunday evening kickoffs in the near future, certainly uh, a proliferation of Saturday and Friday night kickoffs, um and more games screened um as it goes as well. Uh, the three PMs are gonna pretty much stay uh as they are. Um I'll start with you, Chris, on this. It's we discussed this on the on the uh, the other pod earlier this week. It's just another example, isn't it, of how fans just don't matter in this regard. When it comes to TV writing, billions more pounds getting put into the, into the coffers who cares if you know brighton fans have to go to newcastle at you know for 6:30 kick off on a sunday
1: mm. you know it's interesting because i do feel conflicted about this which means i don't i don't i've not come to a resolute opinion but since since 92 when the premier league was launched fans ceased to mean anything pretty much from yeah. that point and and incrementally over the almost last well over the last three decades Clubs at the top level have have relied less and less on on gate income and more and more on sponsorship and, and TV rights. And I think that that ever since they first put a four o'clock kickoff on a Sunday, we've always thought, okay, the fans no longer matter. Uh, anymore, and whether that's a twelve thirty kickoff on a Saturday or more recently eight pm kickoffs on a on a Friday night, we know that the fans' interest and the fans' logistics of moving around is no longer important. But the reason I'm conflicted is it's, it's just that I don't know I don't know where else it can go. Like I, I don't know how they're supposed to program stuff that doesn't clash with the three o'clock for me i would just broadcast at three o'clock because i think that's an antiquated idea which no longer has any resonance really that it would stop fans from going to the games i i I just don't believe that at all so it doesn't surprise me at all but ultimately as we know the the source of it is more income is is more cash coming in So, so for me i can't be too outraged about fans being treated poorly because we've been treated poorly for almost three decades. It's just it, it this will mean what I think twenty-five more live games, more income for for the clubs, and ultimately it is the fan that pays indirectly for that. So I'm sort of shocked but not surprised. But at the same time logistically I'm sorry, pragmatically I'm thinking how else do they do this? Where, where do they place these extra games if they're going to keep that three o'clock on a Saturday sacrosanct, which they shouldn't. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense to to do that. So I am conflicted, but I also think I don't know how they're going to move forward unless they do this.
0: And um, Ben, just a very quick question before I, I get to your, your main question. Do you agree with Chris there? Do you think that three o'clock kickoffs, should they be televised, won't impact upon tendencies elsewhere?
2: It's kind of hard to say, to be honest, because I guess, uh, and I know Chris is similar, is as, because as we're sort of in the, the match-going fan bubble a yeah. little bit. So, you know, we obviously go to City. Um, we don't necessarily go to, to the local local clubs, whether that be, you know, professional clubs or even, you know, semi-professional clubs. So I guess it's it's hard to say. I, you know, I'm trying to think. I, I know a few of um, my son's mates who, you know, maybe in addition to supporting a Premier League club will also support a local club and they'll go to probably that local club more often because they can get tickets um but I don't think as it's a little bit of a guess but I don't think that they would you know stay in to watch a Premier League match rather than go into to a stadium so for for example for for me you know around here be to go and watch Chester or something I think they'd still go to that match Mm. um so yeah so I I don't think that I don't think that is an issue, and as Chris said, it's 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 a bit a bit dated. I, I feel the the angle that they're going for, and you know, we've I'm sure we've all enjoyed it, hungover lying on a sofa on a Sunday, is almost the the wall to wall matches that you get, which is of course so popular in America with their Super Sunday uh, with their American football, is that essentially you know three four games in a row where they've got a captive audience. Uh, and you know, and particularly in the American market, which I think a lot of these times favor, you know, the eight o'clock, uh, eight p.m. Saturday night. Uh, one of the things I read was saying that, I, and I didn't even know this was a rule, but apparently at the moment they're restricted to having either a Friday night or a Monday night. And these new, yes. yeah, these these new things that they're talking about, basically that goes away. So essentially, you could have a a Friday night, a Saturday, and a Sunday night, which are all you know, America, in America. That's all you know. 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 1 p.m. sort of thing. So it's it's perfect for that market, and they're obviously trying to, to to squeeze as much out of they can out of that out of that huge market. So I think a lot of the motivation seems to be on
0: on that side, really. And um, it's not a fair question to to, to put to you because, as you say, you're a match going fan, as is Chris. So as I've got two match going fans with me, you know, I have to ask one of you this. So apologies, mm-hmm. but if you think of it in a selfish manner do you think oh great there's, there's another game at 6 30 on a on a sunday for example you know i've had my roast dinner that's a perfect time to you know w- what else is on at that time antiques roadshow you know so do do, do you see a bit of it in that way i, th-
2: I think the thing is it, it you know it comes back to you doesn't it as in it'll affect to you so yeah yeah so you know for the for the one or two times a season where that happens and it falls in your favor, you know. There's going to be times, you know. For example, even this season at the um, the Newcastle home game, you not know, it's about a 45 minute drive for me, so it's not too bad. But you know, I was that game. It, it's close to midnight when I'm getting back on a Saturday night, which you know we don't necessarily want to do. And obviously, on the flip side of that, you know, Newcastle fans would have been, I presume, staying in Manchester. They're not getting home on that Saturday night. Um. So, so yeah, I would say, you know. It, it's gonna come back and bite you, that sort of thing. I, I don't think it's great. I also think the whole um, you know, the regional favour, I guess, that they used to do for that sort of thing. You know, for example, if it was a, a boxing day match, it always used to be local teams, didn't it? Yeah. I think that's completely gone out the window now. There's no there's there's no loyalty to saying, right, well it's a it's a midweek game or it's a, you know, a Sunday night game versus Newcastle or Saturday night game versus Newcastle. You know, let's Let's change that and make it a more local, local match. Um, it's just there's just no consideration, unfortunately. And they're they're um, they're, they're not bothered. And it's I, I know the the argument always comes down about you know I guess the clubs sign up to it, um, but you know, essentially what comes across is that it's the it's the the higher ups, isn't it? You, when you see the likes of Pep and and Klopp, you know of course arguing and moaning about this, and Klopp particularly falling out of reporters when they're asking questions about it. You know that they're clearly not in favour of it. Um, it's you know it's certainly higher up. Yeah, and
0: it's all about money it's, ultimately.
1: So, just sorry, Stu, just, mm. just to Ben's point about um, timings of games, considering the global market as well, I've never really thought about that. How a three pm kickoff chimes in the states, or in China, or in, or in Australia, but also. When we're talking about our personal experience, you know I'd like to know what percentage British viewers occupy in terms of the wider portfolio for for broadcasters like Sky. you know and and so what whilst the Premier League is is based within England, its global reach is so enormous that actually the consideration of what the needs are for for the fans in in this country. Uh, guests are quite insignificant because we'll probably represent a very small portion of what that global audience is with it and there's also another thing as well about it's like i <laughs> if, if there's if there's a game at 6 30 on a sunday this could break my relationship because it's just because like, <laughs> like, on a sunday morning i go out and referee a county level and i'll come back and often the like sitting might be on a two PM game sometimes, and then and it's just like it then just becomes back to about football, which even I at a certain point will say, okay, this is deeply unfair to the rest of the family yeah with that. But 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 you know, so so I think I think I, like I said, it's about them as generating as much further income as possible, and the Premier League's um, uh, broadcasting rights are for renewal. I think is it next year or or. or, or or the year after. And so, of course, they're going to be enthused about negotiating further income for, the, for, for their stakeholders. But I think that it's almost any outcry that we have um, about the, the impact on the fans that are going to the games, unfortunately, has just become redundant. And it's been that way for years and years. I'm not condoning the fact, but it's just like, Kind of our complaints just echo in the wind because because it's it's it, they've not been a consideration for decades and 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 I I just foresee that this will go through. I can't see genuine obstacles from, from them not doing it because it's about increased income.
0: Absolutely, that's what ultimately what it comes down to. It, it's kind of a redundant mm-hmm. conversation, if you like, because it's inevitable. It, it it means more money in in the coffers, and so all of her ethical considerations just dissipate. I mean, that's always yeah. been the way.
1: And also to what extent is our is our kind of knee jerk reaction based on an antiquated idea, like many ideas in football is antiquated. You know, the kickoffs on a Saturday were at three o'clock to align themselves with with when the men came out of their shifts from the factory yes. or, or, or yeah. down the pits. You know, they'd finished at midday or one o'clock and then they go to the pub and go to the game. So that's why we kick off at three o'clock. But that that framework of of the working classes has not been relevant for decades, you know, and, and so there are many antiquated values that actually just don't exist anymore in football. So to some extent, I, I'm not condoning what they're doing, but I'm acknowledging that part of the reason why, for example, City are enjoying such a purple patch for the last 10 years is around the application of money, you know, smart application of money and good coaches, but money plays a significant role. We'd be naive to to deny that the, the crucial um, input that
0: that has. Well, we're also having a bit of a purple patch as regards to 3pm kickoffs because this is our third, yeah, is it? Yeah. Our third in a row, I think, and there's one next week yes, as well, yeah. so that'll be four, which I, I can't remember the last time that happened. Uh, and we're hosting Nottingham Forest, who can consider themselves unfortunate i think to draw against burnley can consider themselves unlucky um to lose at old trafford Um, Ben, are they a tougher proposition than some may believe i mean i've got to be honest i'm going into this thinking yes city will win this but i, I think forest are going to cause us problems
2: i think that they're tougher in that they've you know they've, they've obviously had a year in the in the premiership now and they're, they're more experienced. Last season, the you know the transfer strategy particularly was, you know, a little bit scattergun. And I know they've still signed a lot of players, but they've got those play a few of the players which have you know had a season in the Premiership. Um, and I think you know ultimately, Steve Cooper's a, a, a pretty good manager. Um, again, he's, he's not just in the Premiership. He you know he's a relatively experienced manager. Seems a, a cool head, and that certainly helped them last season when they were up against it. Um, but similar to you, really, I think. We, sh- we should you know comfortably comfortably win this and i i wouldn't say it'd be anything more than you know a shock if they got anything you know if they got anything out of the game really but they've got they've got a few players um you know the the strikers Akin, what's his name sorry akin uh, akineo is it is that right so so he 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 can cause some problems um but i think ultimately it's something that we should you know be be winning pretty comfortably really and particularly in our our recent form where we we seem to be, you know, managing games and, and doing enough, although not quite hitting our straps yet. We seem, certainly seem to be, you know, in a good
0: place, really. Yeah. I- I- won Nai is the uh, Teo I- Iwan Nae. Exactly as I pronounced it. Though. Who has been involved in at least <laughs> one goal in his last nine Premier League appearances for Forest? Uh, scored nine, assisted twice. Um, yes, yeah, so obviously he's going to be a threat. Um yeah, I'm, I'm very much in the same vein as regards to Forrest. Uh, I'm anticipating a win, but I'm not anticipating it to be straightforward in any regard. Some of that may well come down to the line-ups. Um, Chris, uh, options are limited with, with um, five players out injured. Um, Kozic is expected to be on the bench, thankfully. Any changes at the back, do you think? Do you think um, any rotation going on there? <laughs>
1: You know what's interesting when it comes when it comes to the back line that for this, from the start of this season, I haven't been looking, I haven't been paying a great deal of attention to who's at the back, other than who I think will be full back because that will say a lot about how we intend to attack. Yeah, according to yeah. wh- whether Walker's playing, or you know, or whether whether it's Ake or whether it's Gavardial and I think that's a really privileged position for us to be in in terms of our back line because there's nobody who's a weak link in the back line now. All it is is about. Dynamics and so yeah, the last few games I can't tell you who started the back. I can tell you who started in the middle and up front, but but I just have this this this, this collective skill set at, at the back now, and and I think that the, and, and when Stones is absence you're having to get people like Akanji and Gavardio coming into that inverted inverted centre half role, and. Um, but I think that if we want to play our strongest eleven, it, it sort of rolls out by default, really. I think, particularly if Bernardo is injured now as well. So I I wonder if there's any changes from the game against Red Star. It will be at the back, and it will just be a little bit of rotation to make sure that the centre halves are um, are staying fit. But I actually don't think we have many options no. now. And to no. be fa- and to be fair, I think that. I know we're going to talk about it in terms of the way that our new players have acclimatised. But we're really quite, you know, there's. We have to applaud and um, the, the coaching there because they have they have adapted, but also players like Alvarez are really starting to understand their role a lot more, starting to click and um, a lot more as well. So I don't expect many changes, but I think that's more by default than by design because our starting eleven, our strongest, is largely what we've got, what we saw on on Tuesday night against against Belgrade.
0: Yeah. Um. Then, if there are options limited, and clearly that's the case, would you anticipate Mateus Nunes starting again? And kind of a follow-on question is, what did you make of his debut in, in midweek?
2: So, yeah, so I think, again, as, as Chris said, it's there's, there's not a lot of choice, um, to be honest. So I, I think he probably will start, and obviously with Bernardo as well, picking up uh, an injury that sort of increases the chances. Um, I thought I thought he was he was good without being spectacular, um, I thought he was sort of neat, neat and tidy. Really, I guess is the best way to to describe him. There was a couple of times, and this is maybe being hypercritical, where I thought he was a little bit sort of lightweight. He got knocked off the ball a couple of times, um, but I, he certainly didn't do anything wrong. There was a couple of sort of flashes, there's a couple of times where, for example, I think he like you know he do a nice turn and lose a player. And I must admit, having not seen a lot of him, um during his time at Wolves and watching, you know, watching like a few of us, I guess, scrambling around YouTube clips when we signed him. That that was the sort of thing that seemed to stand out is that, you know, he would nice little flash bits of skill to to get him out of trouble. Um, I think he looks similar in terms of, I guess, something that they're obviously, I think it's a conscious effort to bring in as a bit of a ball carrier, you know, similar to to Kovacic and get the ball, you know, maybe take one player on, move it up the pitch. Um, but I think, yeah, he, he was good, but as I say, not not like spectacularly exciting and, you know, not the impact as, as such as somebody like, like Doku, Um He looked just to, to, to slot in, you know, without, without sort of anything standing out hugely really. Mm. I mean, I, I, Steve,
1: concrete. Steve, so can I just say, I just, cause I thought he was excellent and, and, and I think Doku was superb, but Doku was fireworks and, yeah. and, and Doco was explicitly impactful. But in many ways, Nunes had a far more difficult role to fulfil because he's there alongside Roderick. And we know that that holding and, then, and that transgressive midfield role is so difficult to do. And all you've got to do is look at Calvin Phillips, who evidently on the training pitch is incapable of doing it. And yet Nunes has come in, the same way Kovacic did, and just adapted straight straight away. I agree with you um, about the fact that he's, he's he, he was a little bit lightweight, but I think that that's that's just acclimatizing to to, to bit playing in that team where that where the midfielders have to really stand their ground, and Rodri does it like an expert. But I think that of all of all the areas on the pitch, if I was to join Manchester City as a top flight player, the midfield's the hardest place to occupy because it's it's where the stakes are the highest and the risk is the greatest. So I, I actually thought that, that he was excellent. It really reassured me in terms of boosting that midfield contingent that, that we have there. So, yeah, I mean, Doc, obviously, he stood out because he just he was skinning players. But it's more that, you know, it, it, it's, it's in a way, he, he can make more mistakes. He can lose the ball more. Nunes can't lose the ball. And I didn't see him. I think I some lose the ball once when he was tackled, but that's it. So I, I, I actually thought he had an excellent uh, and starting position. Uh, uh, Debut
0: for us. Well ahead of Nunes we've got a front four right now, which is odd. I would say in terms of on paper, it's odd. You look at it, you think that shouldn't really work. There should be kind of weaknesses there as regards to you know kind of what where it leaves us um, behind, etc., etc. And Alvarez is not a, an out and out number ten, and he's not indeed not even playing as an out and out number ten. But if you look at that set, set up, that's who he should be, but he's not, and it's but it's clearly working. Um, just as a, a, from a fan's perspective, Ben, when you see a front four, your team has a front four of Foden, Doku, who's just an explosive winger, as Chris said, fireworks, Haaland, of course, and Alvarez. It's bloody exciting, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, they would almost, you, you could easily, I know Foden can play a little bit deeper, but you'd essentially say that's four forwards yeah. um, in a way, so... Yeah, and, and they're all they are, as you say, they're all very dynamic. Obviously, Alvarez, um, it seems to just get get better and better. And I think we're we're seeing it as fans, and I, I, you can almost see it literally game by game. Is that he is improving in that role? He's being more involved in the game. Which I think maybe the first one or two games that he played there, he was in and out of the game a little bit. Mm. Um, but he's also getting the, the the props from from elsewhere. You know, I've seen the unheard on the radio and on on the. The, the matches which have been on TV and that he's getting, you know, a lot of credit and I'm I'm glad really, because I think one, one maybe slight concern post the world cup, um, obviously he signed his new contract, which sort of eased the, the fears a little bit. One concern post the world cup was thinking this guy really needs to play. Otherwise, you know, he's just going to in no time at all, he's going to get go, you know, have a starting place in another top European club. So I'm glad we've, we've fitted him in. Uh, obviously, you could probably say that's in place of De Bruyne at the moment, but you know he's, as Pep, to coin Pep's words, he's he's sort of undroppable at the minute, um, and he's he's exciting. And all of those players, <clears throat> excuse me, one of, what I'd say about all those players is they're all very very direct. You know, there's there's not um, there's not much of the you know the the pauser that that Pep goes for. Each one of them will will go for the throat really, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the subject of Bernardo being out, and as said before Kosic should be on the bench but we're still four shy and the squad is looking really thin right now as a consequence. Um Chris do you think Pep and the hierarchy warrant any criticism for letting this happen? Uh you know I'm thinking primarily of loaning out Perone, uh, McAtee agreeing to sell Palmer. I appreciate that Pep Guardiola likes to have a tight small squad and cool. go with that mm-hmm. but in previous seasons we've always had like an overspill of one or two other players just on the periphery plus really exciting kids who are just on the cusp of breaking through we haven't got those and that is making such a big difference right now and you look back at how i felt personally going into the transfer window and and out of it thinking this isn't going to be enough and if i felt that way Surely, you know, Pep Guardiola and the hierarchy felt the same way, and yet nothing really was done to correct that. I think, okay, so
1: everything about everything about Guardiola, the way he approaches football is a gamble. And when he get because, because the way the way that we play the ball, we play together, the way we play the high line, they're pushing all the time, it's always a gamble. When it's working, as inevitably it does more and more now, it, it looks like a safe bet. But there are certain priorities that Pep has uh, about the way we hold the ball, the way we play a high line, the way he wants a small squad. Is a gamble if things don't go our way. Last season, everything went our way because our injury record was impeccable, and our and our medical staff were were, were so were just consummate professionals. The way they, the way we got our injured players through the mill really quickly and got them back on the pitch. So it's always a gamble. But what I would say is is when, this, when the transfer window closed um, we'd got and we'd got cobb Church and we'd got Nunes and we'd got Docco, we all sort of think, okay, but maybe one short. Sure. But but actually, that, that's not too bad. And then we've just been unlucky. We've been unlucky with, with Stones, been unlucky with, with, with Grealish, okay? And obviously unlucky, very unlucky with, with De Bruyne, but I think that could have been managed better. And then Bernardo, it might just be a tweak. But what I would say is, when we two seasons ago, when we were were down to our bare bones in terms of centre halves, you remember, and and in the last few games, Laporte was dragging himself onto the Mm. pitch despite carrying injury. We never really called upon our young players there. Not. not really. We 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 weren't bringing you know. Palmer didn't see very much. We we weren't really pulling on those young players. So having those numbers on the bench can be reassuring, but only if Pep is going to employ them. Mm-hmm. And I think if Perone is here and McAtee is here and Palmer's here, I still apart from Palmer, I still don't I still don't think they're definitely going to get game time. Bob has come in. You know, Lewis is Lewis has is, is, has really cemented. He, he, his position to be a consideration for for that starting eleven. You know, Bob is there to, to, to offer something else. We do have options, but I think I just think it's the gamble that 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 Guardiola is is playing with to have a small squad that when you get these injuries, um, that that it's not great. But genuinely, if we ask ourselves, how worried are we really? Because we, because, because because we know Guard- we know we know De Bruyne is is he's coming back in the new year, okay. We know that Stones and and Grealish they are tweaks that they're gonna develop. Kovacic is pretty much bad silver. There's nothing come out to say it's it's really serious. I'm not actually desperately concerned because the last four games have shown me actually we we can manage this situation quite effectively. With the, with the players that we've got. We lose two more players in our injury, then it's a crisis, but that would be a crisis for any team, really. So I just uh, I just think we have to balance our experience of how Guardiola manages it and actually, who actually are we going to call upon? Like, you know, like we're not going to call upon the kids. He just doesn't do it at mm. really important times.
0: Well, while well, accepting all that, and I think it's a really good point about the kids, actually. I think it, it does come down to... Just reassuring the fans seeing a full bench as opposed to yeah. seeing, you know, two keepers on there. But still, for all that, it is a thin squad. And okay, yes, we've been unfortunate with injuries, but we haven't yet got into the meat and bones of the season. So Ben bearing that in mind, the fact that we will soon be fighting on several fronts. We've got, you know, the League Cup and we've got the FA Cup, we've got the Champions League, knockouts beyond Christmas and the Club World Cup in December. I mean it could conceivably get to a right fixture pile up come February or March with a thin squad could that ultimately cost us do you think
2: Well I think if we look at the the competitions as they they sort of come so there's obviously the league cup um coming up soon and and as has been discussed on on previous pods you know that's going to potentially if we get through and if we beat Newcastle away that's going to clash with the club world cup so I wouldn't be surprised if the League Cup was literally uh, a team of kids. And I think Pep has mentioned that in w- one of his interviews. Um, so there's that competition. You know, the Club World Cup itself, although there's obviously travel involved, it's essentially two matches out there. Um, so it's not a huge increase. And I think it's it's basically, as, as I see it, what, what Pep does anyway during any season is he, he s- splits it up into chunks. And, you know, the, the early parts of the season are, I guess, sort of, separated or bookended by the the international breaks. So we've obviously we've got gotten through the first first one successfully. We've now got this next one coming up where the fixtures, you know, are are increasing more and more like two games a week um and there's Arsenal which is in this next group of fixtures isn't there as well. So obviously that's you know that'll be a, a big sort of milestone or a tick off if we if we manage to beat them. And I think that's that's all we can do at the moment is effectively play Play what we have in front of us. Play who we've got, which is fit. Um, and as Chris said, it's not well, apart from De Bruyne. You know, I think that we, we've the players should come back. And all you know, if if you add, for example, if you add Stones and Grealish into that mix, or Stones Grealish and Kovacic into that mix, which we we could easily see within two weeks. You know, that's that's a huge difference. And I think the the risk element of that small squad. Is Pep has almost, you know, hedged his bets really with with the defense and knowing that the defense is so strong, both in terms of you know quality and in terms of depth, is because of that that gives us more options. Um, you know, we've got five or six players there, which are all, you know, really, really strong players. So basically you know, it's the old, the old ad, adage, I guess, as if, you you know, you start the game and you don't concede a goal, you stand a pretty good chance of, of winning it. And then also, you know, with us having Harland up the end of the pitch, that obviously aids that as well. So it, it feels to me like, yes, we've gone into the season with a little bit of risk, but it's, it's almost calculated cause, because that back line is so strong. And, you know, essentially we've got a bit of a, a cheat code in,
0: in Haaland, really. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um. OK, Chris, how do you see Saturday's game playing out? I think we're all in agreement that Forrest are going to cause us problems. They're going to be pretty decent. They won at Stamford Bridge recently. How do you see it playing out and your score prediction, please?
1: So I think when you look at you look at Forrest's game so far this season, that they, 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 they've they won the games that you expect them to win against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, um, and, and the Chelsea won what was a bit of a surprise. And then they've lost the games against Arsenal and against United, but the manner with which they lost, I think, is really promising for yeah. for them. So I think I, I think as you said earlier about what Ben said about they're in that second season, and so they're acclimatized now, and 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 the novelty of playing in the Premier League has gone, and now they're they're, they're a little bit more they're more experienced. But what I've seen with Forest in all those games so far, is just been quite an, quite an impressive fight about them. Um, and they and they can be quite progressively demanded, They can be quite forward thinking. So what I expect is is a fight. I hope they don't go low block, but but it's but most people do when they come to, to, to the Etihad. But I don't think it will be. I certainly will be. I think it'll be a more challenging game than it was uh, with the same fixture. The yes, pieces, yeah. Where, where, where we battered them, and they and they were shell shots And again, that was quite early doors in the season, as as I recall. Um, but. Um, but no, I, 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 think, I think, I, I think we, I think we, can, I think we can win it. How comfortably? I think a lot of that depends upon what had the way for present themselves. But um, I'm, I'm gonna say, yeah, I, I think, I think it's three 0 uh, I, I think we will score, um, um, and I, I kind of hope that we don't concede. However, if we continue to make chances like we have been doing, and Haaland takes his very first one it could be a lot bigger score than
0: three. Uh, but uh, but I'm going to say th- 3-0 for the moment. I'm also going 3-0 with a Haaland brace, um, Okay. which I just wanted to say because no one else says brace anymore and I love that. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Ben's your score prediction? Uh, I'm going to go one more. I'm going to say 4-0. And
2: again, I was going to say expect Haaland to score. Um, I'm not at all worried about... Any doubters out there, which are saying he's, he's hmm. not in the best of form? Uh, I think it'll you know he's he hit the post and the bar in the uh, in the week. I think he'll he'll score at least two, and it'll be similar to last season. And I think if he scores, you know, within the first ten minutes, I think put your money on him getting a hat trick. I think,
0: yeah, lovely stuff. Um, let's quickly look at the summer signings uh, and how well he's settled in. I think it was you, Chris, who mentioned it earlier. It might be new, Ben. so apologies. If it was that. It's a big, been a big plus for us, and it's been a necessity too, given our our injuries. That these players have just immediately seemed to have kind of you know made made an impact, made their mark, uh, and look comfortable as well. Uh, Guardiola at the back. Uh, we'll start with Ben, clearly one of the world's most promising defenders. But at this juncture, are you seeing enough from him? Are you pleased with what you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. And again, to
2: to follow on from your your brace cliche. He, mm-hmm. he does look like a like a Rolls Royce, doesn't he? Oh, um, lovely stuff. He uh, he uh, he's so so comfortable on the ball. And I, don't get me wrong, I think Ake is a great player, had a great season last season. Um, but I think Guardiola offers us just that little bit more on the ball. Um, there's a couple of touches I remember in the Sheffield United game, which is just superb. Um, I think again, maybe it goes down to the you know where we've been left with with regards to the the incomings and stuff. I think the overall summary that I would say is with the number of players that have coming in and um, you know those the sort of four players that, that we're going to discuss here. I think for any team to have, you know, a high level of turnover and for them to, you know, be integrated so well. And again, there's been I've heard, you know, stuff, stuff in the media about people saying, you know, effectively the city have lost, you know, and Mares, et cetera but they've just slotted these plays in again that's a you know a testament to to to, to cheeky and to pep and and the whole coaching squad and i think vardiol has has absolutely done that he looks very very comfortable um I think Pep sort of seems to be you know whether it's pep or or lilo seems to be playing it well is that you know he'll come in for a game drop out for a game and and that's perfectly fine at the moment um i think because Bardiol's touch is so good. Um, I sort of feel at the moment, you know, he's he's probably more suited to being being at full back, being out there at left back just because he, he sees a little bit more of the ball and it helps us from that perspective. But yeah, he certainly, you know, if you see his name in the starting lineup, you're you're completely pleased and you've got yeah. no no worries sort of thing. So that's you know, again, that's good good on him.
0: Absolutely.
1: Steve, there's something about this which I think I think isn't a coincidence as well. You know that there's that old cliche about once you've got a settled defence, don't rotate them. Mm. And Pep goes, yeah, about that. So uh, let me let me tell you what I think. And if you look now, apart from maybe Diaz, possibly Walker, we're now Pep is quite comfortable rotating his defence game by game, and I think that does have an impact on the players in a positive way because they, they know they're all going to get game time. They know they've all got to be flexible and adaptable to any position which they're being asked to play, either side of the centre-half or or, or, or left-back. And I think that, that that in that sense, that maybe they don't see each other as a huge threat to the position because they know they're going to go through a rotation. So so Gavardial was able to be dropped in immediately and then he can drop out again, and then he can come in again, as as Ben's saying. And I think strategically, that is a that is a deliberate effort by the coaching staff, and that's why we went with Gavardio, because we needed to have more centre halves that that, that 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 we could rotate. And that's why I think like I said at the beginning of, of the pod, like I actually don't pay as much attention to the to, to, to the defensive um, uh, lineup. With each game at the minute, because I don't see any weak weaknesses there. So, uh, and 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 the way Gavadio has dropped in so quickly is testament to his ability and and his confidence as a player, particularly for a very young player, but also the confidence with which is is invested in in, in him by 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 um, by Pep. And and I just think again, it's, it's something. It's another example of where. Pep is changing football. Not only is he saying I'll play four centre halves across the bat, but he says I will regularly I will regularly rotate them because that works to, to to our strength. So I think that has played a significant role to the speed with which Gavardiola settled and started to mm. um express himself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, further forward Kovacic. um I was really excited about signing this lab because um again, as I've said on, on a previous pod, or, or every time I'd watch Chelsea, I'd always watch up someone going, Kofsic, oh, he looks, what a player he is. I was always jealous of Chelsea having him. And now we've got him. Um, his injuries and his, his kind of fitness was always a concern. So, it, yeah, that, that's kind of exacerbated somewhat um of late with the fact that he is injured right now. Um But if he can keep this lad fit, Ben, I mean what a player he is he's you know he said there about Cavardi up in a Rolls-Royce you know this guy's just a Bentley in midfield isn't he he's <laughs> just so everything's just done so smoothly his touch his game intelligence his movement everything is just beautiful to watch I think
2: yeah and with Gundogan um obviously leaving you know there's a whole not just in the position but also you know with the experience and I think that was one of the things that Reassured me about this signing, obviously being a multiple Champions League winner at, at Real Madrid, um, and and obviously having the the Premier League experience. So I think this one was a really smart signing, um, yeah. and and as you said, having seen him before, and you know he he always looked a good player, always looked neat and tidy, always looked like he was never you know the the best players. They always say look like they've got plenty of time, and I remember watching him live and thinking that obviously. Probably not at the levels of Modric, but you can see the the similarities there. Always available for a pass, as I say, always plenty of time to to uh, to see the pass or to 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 read the game, which which is so important to City. And I think I've I've seen a few interviews with with players and ex players. He seems to be a bit of a players player as well. A lot of the he might you know he might not be be scoring lots of goals or getting assists, but a lot of other players have sort of said you know he's you know one of their most favoured teammates. Yeah, so. So he's done brilliantly, um, as you say. I think it the statistic that he'd only started 25 league games last season. I think, um, so or maybe maybe it was even less. But I don't think he's done more than that for Chelsea. So that's a slight concern. But you know, maybe that's again another reason why we've we've, we've gone for for Nunes as well. But yeah, really really happy with Kovačić. And w- when he went out, it did feel like a bit of a blow, to be honest, because you know he had, he's had such a good start.
0: Mm, yeah, uh, and but he is very much the type who will just slot straight back in. Um. Again, it just comes down to his fitness and keeping him fit. Um. Further forward again, uh, Doku, um, Chris, you, you described him earlier as fireworks. What really kind of impresses me about him in the last two appearances, most of all, is his decision making. And um, would you go along with that? He, he's he's making the right decisions at high speed.
1: Yeah, I think that there's he's he's that lock picker that we lost when when Mares left, and and the balance that we'll have is is, 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 is who we play as, as those attacking pair left and right. It's if Doku's not playing, it means the other one needs to be much more of a ball carrier, like maybe Grealish. But I think that, that he's adapted really well. That there is that skill set that he has, you don't see a great deal in in Guardiola's teams recently. That literally one on one, face up the man, skin them and go past. Um, but I think Guardiola's thought he needs that back in his armoury. Um, and against and against Red Star, I just saw a player enjoying himself. And when you're skinning. Uh, midfield players on the halfway line is for, for, for the sake of it. When the risk is to move the <laughs> ball, that you know what I mean. It's like you've got a player who's just brimming with confidence. He brings another dynamic to the team, which which we didn't have, um, and uh, and it, and it increases the competition for places there. But but whilst there's that inevitable fallout among city fans on social media, like oh, is he going to usurp? Grealish. It's like, well, no, we've just got another tool in the toolbox that that, that we can use. Imagine once Grealish is fit against once Bernardo's fit again, once Kev is fit again, all those options that, that we have. And so obviously he's visible he's visually a very exciting player to watch and he gets you out of your seat. Um, but I think like you said, it's the and a decision making and the framework of how you judge his decision making is is a, is a how is he contributing to the system which is being played, and it seems that he's adapted really quickly, which is a really promising thing for us to to to, to see on the pitch.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see more of him this weekend. Um, mm. Something else I'd like to see more of this weekend is loads of chances being created, as we've seen recently. But of course, there is a downside to that as well in you know, the fact that you can't score all of them. So it looks right now that we're being wasteful and yet we're scoring three goals a game. Uh, Against Red Star, West Ham and Sheffield United combined, we averaged an attempt on goal every 2.8 minutes. We averaged a shot on target every 6.7 minutes. These figures are ridiculous. Um, But as I say, what comes from that, of course, are people saying, well, we're missing a lot of chances. You you mentioned earlier, um, Ben, about Haaland, you know, hitting the post and hitting the crossbar. So uh, clearly it's not really a concern for you, is is that right to say?
2: Yeah, and I I must admit, um, I think in our WhatsApp group, there was people who were panicking a little bit on on Wednesday. And this this sounds hugely arrogant, but, you know, when Red Star went ahead, I sort of felt, well... You know, at least this makes it interesting now. You know, for an early Champions League group match, mm. um, because I, I wasn't in any any doubt that you know we would win that and end up winning it uh, convincingly. So I think both and that, and that you know that's both for the team and and for Haaland. Obviously, he he didn't score in the night, but there's there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that you know he's going to take these chances, uh, and it just feels like. Again, sounds a little bit arrogant, but it feels like we, we at some point we're just going to absolutely smash someone, you know, seven, eight, nine nil or something like that, um, just because we we are relentless and you know going on from what we said earlier about those attacking four. I think a lot of it comes from that, you know, Foden yeah. is, is not shy of pulling the trigger. Alvarez, you know, is great from distance as well as sort of always being uh, on point and arriving at the the right time to have many shots. Uh, and you know we just touched on on Doku's directness as well. You know he's having a lot of shots too. So I think you know it's great. It, it clearly feels a tactic is that you know and, and maybe it's it's as simple as just having Alvarez and Harlan on the pitch is that we're going to have a lot more output. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not at all worried. We'll um, we'll continue to make chances. You know three goals a game is is fine by me if we continue that for the rest of the season. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I saw a really kind of. You know, I'm not being critical of the article and I don't know who wrote it, but in the Manchester Evening News yesterday, there was an article about, um, City's missed chances and, and they were laying out just how many chances we're creating. And then of course, as you get into the kind of article, they have to then say, well, yes, but also City are scoring three goals a, a game. And then it said at one point, um, an 11% chance conversion rate, which they say, which is actually quite normal. It's, no, that's really high. <laughs> that's actually high. The average chance conversion rate is about six and a half percent. So it's almost double that. So um, There is,
1: there is zero cause for concern. All, in all these games where Holland has missed glaring chances, from my understanding, we've won them all. Yeah. And, 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 and that's because we, there are like, like, there's always been with Guardiola's t- uh, city teams. There's, that goals don't, are not, don't come from one source. They come from multiple sources. And that's why we score so many goals. And, um, I think that the, uh, it's not a cause of concern. All you have to do is look at is look at Haaland. He doesn't sulk. He doesn't lose confidence. He's just as bemused as we are to think, why did that not go in the back of the net? My concern would be if we were not creating chances. And we've seen that before in the past when teams play low block and we're thinking we're not creating chances here. There's no creativity. Our shock is that is that something which is elementary doesn't happen, is that um Haaland is at the far post, a ball comes across from Docker, he doesn't tap it in. We're just shot by that. But it's not a cause for, for, for concern because I'm not seeing any impact on one the results and on two on Haaland's uh, confidence. It's just a bit of a it's it, it's a bit of a anomaly because because we're just not taking those chances. The the league needs to be very fearful. If we continue to create the same yeah. uh, 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 ratio of uh, the, the same tally of chances, but the ratio increases how many we take, because then we're going to start to be really destroying teams, and that's where the concern should be for for, for the opposition. I have no concern; it's just an anomaly. But Haaland will push through it without without a problem. In the meantime, we're not we're not losing any points.
0: I don't think it's going to happen this weekend against Forest, but we are going to seriously batter some team sometime soon if this continues. We are looking at eight or nine at this juncture, I think, because it it just has to. The maths just tell us that it has to at some point. Um, It'll be
1: united. Oh, please, (laughs) please. With their current state of play, it'll be united.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I wish I could end the pod right there. That's a perfect way to end it. But... I know you wanted to talk about Paul Hackenbottom's comments last week, Chris, and it, it kind of speaks to a wider subject as well. The fact that referees are just open to criticism and abuse. And when it comes from Premier League managers, my interpretation of that is mm, th- there's a line here. And, and I think Paul Heckingbottom crossed that line. And um, just to put in quick summary, Sheffield United played very well at, at Tottenham and um, being counted a couple of bad decisions they lost to the two very very late goals which probably didn't help his mindset has to be said he went on to say that the officials across the board are ruining the game and that they are appalling. Uh what was your kind of immediate response to that Chris as a referee yourself? Just to
1: give it a little bit of context as well I am I am kind of um conscious of the fact that i don't want our listeners to think that every time i come on, i'm banging the drum about, about you know the abusive referees receive obviously it, it, it's a consideration of mine because ever since being a referee i have changed the way i look at the culture of football but i'm just i, I think my responsibility is just to sort of provide context and and, and give another viewpoint really hmm. i think that i think that that the, the, the lens on, on officials in the Premier League has, has intensified at the start of the season and, and that's been a combination of changes uh, in the directors for the law, um, uh, the you've had Howard Webb coming out and doing these um, ref watch things on, on Sky, but also there's been some high profile mistakes made as well. And the difference has been is now that Webb's coming out and saying, yes, that was a mistake in previous seasons. They wouldn't have said that. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't have seemed as alarmist really. And when mistakes are made, I will say that is a bad mistake and that needs to be rectified at some point or it needs to be addressed. I think the thing with Hacking Bottom, it was two things. First of all, he was completely wrong in what he was saying because, effectively, his 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 line of defence was, "Oh yeah, uh, we had a plan of playing out from the back, and then Spurs um, worked it out, so we had to adapt, and and we should be given more time to do that." Yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. Adapt, carry on. If you're not, you're time wasting. So that's one thing where it was it was a pitiful um, argument. Uh, of an excuse for, for 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 why he's responding in the way he is but the second thing he did and this is why I thought it was deeply irresponsible because he did some serious dog whistling comments um and 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 he yeah and he said that he said that these officials are ruining our games and he said and they must be stopped right i've heard that sort of rhetoric more recently in political grounds and we see the consequences of that when somebody in a certain position says we have to stop these things that, 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 that there's a really serious issue at the minute with with members of the public in certain situations having a sense of entitlement whether it's on social media or as you're seeing more and more there's an increase in 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 abuse uh, for, 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 from from the terraces and people coming onto the pitch like, so so there's, there's a sense of entitlement that that spectators are, are having so when he says those things, he is fanning the flames of this media generated uh, antipathy towards officials anyway but he's also indirectly giving the okay for verbal abuse and potentially physical abuse so when managers in those positions say that they they, they should be chastised and and punished accordingly it was a deeply irresponsible thing to say and what made it even worse was well, his, his argument was absolute toss it made no sense whatsoever and i'm not catastrophizing but i am thinking where where do we have to get to before the situation around the abuse or the comments about officials stops? Does it have to be that a referee isn't just verbally abused, but is physically abused and injured and seriously attacked by fans who feel that they've got an agenda because a manager like Mourinho or like Heckenbottom has come out and criticised. And that's why it's problematic. And, I noticed that when Heki Heki, I will stop my rant shortly please That's fine. Please, Go for it. please forgive me but when Heki bottom said that there was very little um commentary on it on match the day from Lineker or from shearer they just said oh yeah he hasn't really you know he he, he hasn't really got a, a good argument there there was no cons- there was no comments about actually That's really emotive language. He shouldn't be saying those things. Uh, We've seen that when Anthony Taylor gets verbally and physically manhandled uh, at at the airport after the Europa League final because of what Mourinho did, there's no repercussions at all. And the same thing happened after that. Again, there was no real sense of like, actually, Mourinho should really be bad, should be severely punished for this because he condoned that kind of behaviour. So I think it's deeply problematic. But I just... Heckenbottom came across as some dumb Sunday League manager with, with a pale ex you know, a pale <laughs> excuse because he didn't have the he didn't have the 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 ability or the or the foresight to be able to think how do we adapt to this? And I just don't think there's been enough response in the media to say actually That is deeply irresponsible. That's emotive language. And ultimately, what you will do is you'll see it on the terraces as Sheffield United fans, along with many other fans, will go, actually, we can't trust our officials. They make mistakes, without a doubt, but players make mistakes and managers make mistakes. But those comments, I then will feel the impact of when I'm refereeing matches on a Saturday and a Sunday because it just reinforces the idea that referees are fair game for abuse and i'm just thinking where 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 is this going to end is someone going to get seriously injured before people say actually we probably need to tw- we probably need to adjust what what was saying so yeah i was really pissed with that man and i hope hmm. they get relegated
0: well said well said yeah. uh, and i hope they get relegated before he said it so now especially so and um, then when VAR came in, I kind of naively thought that VAR would be the sole focus of any criticism. That I, I actually remember thinking, well, at least now refs won't be, as, as Chris said, considered fair game for abuse, because it'll be VAR that takes all the flack. It doesn't seem to be playing out like that. Refs seem to be under more kind of, um, of a spotlight than ever before. Um, do you feel the same way?
2: Yeah, and I think... Um, when you know we we heard about how Bar was going to work, and you know we sort of almost thought you know it was this all-seeing guy, um, but it was going to solve all all of the problems of you know we'd never be on a Monday morning, no one would ever be talking about mistakes or anything yes. like that. Yeah, and I, I think the probably everyone's sort of naivety is, and again Chris will Chris will know this in more depth, but is the element in the rules which is subjectivity. So essentially, if you've got somebody on a pitch viewing something or if you've got somebody, you know, looking at something on a, on a screen, there's still going to be that that level of subjectivity. Um, and I think that is always going to come into it. So we're never going to have, particularly for these rules, which are, you know, aren't binary and they're not like an offside rule, you know, whether it's, did somebody intend to do this? Was there, a you know, an intentional handball or something like that? That's always going to be a problem. I think the thing that fans struggle with is is the consistency um and maybe that's because you know the as I say, the subjectivity those things sort of clash is that you know one person's opinion of of a, of a situation will will differ to another person's um you know thoughts that the following weekend or something I think that's the frustration um I think the things that they're doing around you know bringing out these these clips of the, the mic'd up I, I think that's that's really positive uh, and, you know, and I'd like to see it go one step further is that, you know, in, in the ground or something that you would see or hear stuff. And I appreciate, you know, there's, there's things there where, you know, you don't want the the, the fans or anything to lynch the ref. I, I get all that sort of stuff, but surely there's something that they can do. Again, like they do in American Sports Week and, and you know, in rugby as well, don't they? You can hear things over the mic. Mm. And at, in the ground at the moment, you know, there's, you can see whenever there's a VAR decision that's that's going on, whenever there's a review going on, the instant response is is negativity from the fans. So, you know, even before decisions come out, all the fans are, you know, swearing and singing anti-VAR songs. And I think if there was some level of explanation and visibility, you'd have a little bit more appreciation of what's going on and why that decision may or may not go one way or the other. Um, so, again, I, I see it as just something, it will it will continue to to, to happen until we get, like, a level of, of transparency, I guess, because the fans in the, in the stadium, you know, they've got every right to, to know what's going on. Um, and, you know, you can say the same for the players as well. As so a lot of the time they don't know. And was it, I think Vincent company, I was reading a quote from him in the week and he was basically saying something around the, you know, the, the new rules or the tweets of the rules that they bring in each season. And he basically said, you know, I, I shut off when they start talking now, I just have to accept, mm. accept the rules really. And, and, and I think yeah, Pep has fast. that attitude. As well, then
1: that, that I think that's deeply problematic because. So, just to add to a bit of context there as well, I think I think when managers say I, I don't pay attention to to the, to the tweets in the law, it's like, okay, why would you ignore that framework within which you play? Because those tweaks are significant tweaks, and they are in response to the way f- contemporary football is playing out. I've said this before, you know. So much around offside rules has, has been adapted according to to the um, uh, to the speed with which play has uh, has increased. I don't think it's good enough if managers and players don't take notice of the tweaks the laws, because then they will then complain about them later on. That there is what's what's really important is. I believe I've always advocated for transparency because, in terms of education, in in terms of people being able to understand the process of which somebody came to a, a decision. However, transparency will not remove the subjectivity in officiating in football. Ninety-five percent of the laws in football are subjective. Okay, the the two key ones that are not subjective that are binary is what was a player offside and did the ball go over the goal line. Okay, and the rest is subjective to be that a referee has to make a decision on what they think that they saw. So the transparency helps. What has really Change, but I don't think necessarily that a lot of spectators have adapt is adapted to. Is that if a referee made a bad decision in the past or one we didn't agree with, we moaned about it and then we let it go because we couldn't change it. The introduction of of the video referee has created a lens with which we can scrutinise that decision-making further. But ultimately, that decision will still be largely subjective, based within the framework of the application of the laws. What we should expect is that, as you said, more consistency and for the subjectivity to, to, to align itself with a more consistent interpretation But I think that VAR is not there as another stick with which to beat the officials. It should be there as as a means with which to get a more consistent success rate of decision making. And I just think sometimes the expectation of, of what they thought the VARs would bring into the game is really misjudged really it's we still have subjective decisions being made by referees because they are human beings so i i, I just think, I, th- I think it's a long process and i think we'll still be talking about vars for the next 3 to 5 seasons But by that point, it will have improved inevitably. I just think we've all got to contribute to the success of that and not see it as the enemy, even though sometimes it can be frustrating. But then it's frustrating if Haaland doesn't score five goals when he's got five chances in the game. It just doesn't always go that
0: way. Okay. Well, we have to wrap it up now. Time is defeated, alas. And, and I, I wish we could have gone further in that discussion. And hopefully we can continue it. Well, no doubt we will continue it another time because, you know, these decisions and managers being arseholes, it's nothing new. It's that's going to carry on, isn't it? There's going to be other instances, I'm sure, unfortunately. Uh, in the meantime, though, thank you very much for joining me today, Ben. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Chris.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure as always and, and forgive me if i was ranting was
2: no just,
0: no it no. was one that,
1: it, it just it triggered my it triggered my uh agitation l- l- last weekend. that's what which share. is why i asked
0: you absolutely yeah because yeah. yeah, you're coming at it from a an insider perspective so um yeah it's fascinating stuff and thanks everyone for listening in um i'd just like to wish a very happy anniversary to my beautiful wife and if you believe I'm saying this to atone for forgetting that it's our anniversary this morning, I'm not getting a card <laughs> or, a, or a present. You, Well, if you're not mistaken, it's absolutely bang on. And that's it, really. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, everyone. Be well and forever up the blues.